Okay. Here again in Monsi on a soon-to-be snowy night, right? There's a famous story that occurred at around 140 years ago, very relevant to this week's parsha. I think it's a famous story. We'll go through some of the details. There are many people over the years who question the authenticity of it, but that's not what we're going to discuss tonight. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant, it's entertaining, and it starts a conversation that's very important to many aspects of Judaism. So the Nitziv was a Roshiva Volozhin for about 50 years. And in the years he was there, he had many things he did that was very, what we would call today's world, extreme right, right wing, and certain things that were more open-minded. And one of the things he was uh, somewhat famous for is that the Bachram, the yeshiva, really took a liking to him. They, they enjoyed his say. The night, someone wrote about it one time, and different things that, that he had done, people had written about how they gathered around his table, and he was schmoozed with the Bachram, and different types of things. And the, the author of the Taratimima wrote a four-volume, five-volume, Mekar Baruch, on different stories that occurred in his life and obviously connected to his Nitziv, who he was related to through marriage, his uncle. She so has a famous story. The story starts like this. It was a Matzah Shabbos, Parshas B'Shalach, right? That's why it would occur around now. And he said the, every Matzah Shabbos, the Nitziv would invite some of the Bachram over to have some food, to sit around and schmooze together. And they would try to throw out different sugis and see how everyone would, would uh, think. And it would be like an informal session to get to know him, get to know each other, how to, how to work things out. And he writes over that they were there on one Matzah Shabbos, Parshas B'Shalach, and there was a knock on the door. And in walked in a person. Some of the details are very flowery. So I don't know if I'm making American eyes, but it's, you know, we'll get you the gist of the story out. And they knock on the door, and they open it up, and in walks in a person, and he says that he was a butcher his whole life. He had a very successful business going, and he had a partner. And as sometimes too often, the partnership fell apart years earlier. And when the partnership went down in flames, he had made a vow that he was never going to see his partner, now to be his ex-partner, ever again. And he writes that he was very strict about it, he made sure never to be in the same location as the person. And he was going on and on how he was very strict about vows. And how he kept his vow and he never saw this person again. And now he got a, he got a message that the ex-partner had passed away. As people are not, he decided he was going to maybe make a trip to the morgue, to the funeral, and ask, pay his last respects and ask them forgiveness and stuff like that on how to end in the proper way. But he wanted to know. He was so strict about his vow all these years, was he permitted now to go see his ex-partner to ask forgiveness? So Nitziv was quiet, and Nitziv turned to the Bachim at the table, and he said, let's go around, let's see what everyone's thinking. So in the laws of vows, laws in the Dharam, which we're not doing tonight, the laws of vows has a question. When a person makes a vow, certain unforeseen circumstances would occur, then you're maybe allowed to be matted in Edda. So he said they were going around the room, and slowly each person was giving his lambdas of what the Hilchis Hataras Nadarim would apply in this case or not in this case. And they were going around, and when it came around to Nativ, he says he was younger than most of the people then. I don't know exactly how old he was, he doesn't say when the story occurred. But based on certain things, it probably occurred after 1880. He was born in 1860, so I don't know how young he might have been. But he says that when it came to him, he said that the Taratmima, he said he told his uncle, I don't understand what everyone's discussing here. Now it's my turn. I'm telling you, it's an open pasuk in the Torah. Not only that, but everyone this week just read it. That's, a, that's what we call in America a teaser. He, say, he says the room got hushed quiet. Everyone looked around. They were trying to figure it out. And finally, the Nativ told him, you know, explain yourself. What does it mean? So he said, look at this week's parasha. In, in Perak Yedalad, when the Yidin was surrounded and they were nervous what was going to be, the pasuk says that Moshe Rabbeinu told to the people, 
Al Tiru, don't be afraid. Tiro, stand where you are. Watch what Hashem will do for you today. As you see Egypt, probably the Egyptians today, you will no longer ever see them again. That's what Oskol says. You shall not see them ever again. With an exclamation point, according to Oskol. You will never ever see them again. Okay. And what does it occur? Two Pesukim later, not two Pesukim, a few Pesukim later, in the same parak still, we said every day by davening, the Jews saw Es Mitzrayim, again, probably means the, the, the Egyptian people, not the place. They saw them, article says, they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So, the Tartimir said, you see openly, if Moshe Rabbeinu told the Yidin, you're never going to see them again, and then they saw them again when they were dead. Clearly, when you make a vow or a statement, I will not see you, you means only the live version of you. The dead version of you is not included into this phrase. And he said that the tiv was quiet for a few seconds, and he turned to the person, he said, you have your psak, go to the funeral, say your uh, last respects, ask forgiveness, everything is good. And then he writes over how the Natsiv was extremely impressed with it, the Natsiv told him he's going to put it into his own safer, and the Natsiv told him the next morning, he pinched his cheek, and he told him it's unbelievable, and he told the people there, it's Mongolius, that you have, you have gems inside the Torah that answer everything, just have to be hidden, and it's a five-page story in the Torah to me, in the Bukhar Baruch, about the events that occurred that are fascinatingly positive toward the Tartimim himself, and it sounds like an interesting idea. But in general, this question now becomes a question. If you make, when you're referring to someone as a human being, are you only referring to them in their live version, or are you including within them their dead version? Sadly to say, many Chuvas are filled with similar questions of the fact is of someone making a vow not to see someone, and then, and then the person passed away. Is the vow still intact, or is the vow now automatically nullified because now that's not quality in the person? And that's the end of that story, and it seems like from that story that the Tziv said it was mutter, dead people are not included, and you're allowed to go on. That's in the Makar Baruch. The Tartamimah also wrote the famous Tartamimah. In the Tartamimah on this Pasuk, he actually changes part of the events, and he writes, he writes about it, by the way, he writes about it in a few places. He writes about it in the Tzitzis Baruch also. It was a story that was very known by the, by the Tartamimah, and if it occurred as is, that it would be, I mean, he was in front of a room of giants, and he came up with a quick answer based on a Pasuk in the Torah. It's pretty, pretty cool. So he repeats it in many places. But in the Tartamimah, which everyone has, most people have, the Tartamimah, what he says is, he says, you should know, we have a steer here between the beginning, Moshe Rabbeinu saying, you're never going to see him again, and then see him again. What it, he says, the Zayar asked this question. It wasn't, the, it wasn't this uh, butcher's question. The Zohar, on this week's Pasha, asked this question, and the Zayar gives an answer. This is what Tartamim is writing. The Zayar says what we just said. There's a difference between live people and dead people. Therefore, the, the, the vow did not apply. Therefore, you're allowed to do it. And then he writes, the Tartamim, you should know, it's not just a Zayar that's, that's, that's Kabbalah. It has practical uh, applications to it. What would be the practical application? He says again, if someone makes a nether, and, and the nether is, is on a live person, and the person passed away, can you do it? So if we stop the class right now, we have a very cute story. It seems to be that the Tartimim was Mechavan to a Zayar, and the Zayar seems to say it, that he was allowed. The problem is that when you actually look at Zayar, it's not so clear that the Zayar is actually saying what he said it said. This is what uh, the Zayar says, again on this week's Pasha. This is not Kabbalah. Everyone can follow through, it's a pretty easy uh, thing. The Zayar quotes, I don't know, the, they don't have the Kudus in the Zayar, and some of these names are not regular names, so if I'm mixing up the names, I apologize to those people in the Zayar, and I apologize to you. I have no idea. So the first name, I think it was Yud Yud Shin Aleph. So I'm going to call it Rabbi Yisa, but I don't know if I'm right or wrong, it might be Yisha, I'm not really sure. Rabbi Yisa is the one who asked this question. 
The Zara quotes Abisa says this question of a stereo contradiction. Moshe Rabbeinu told the Jews never to see the, the Egyptians again, and they saw the Egyptians again. Why does that work? So in the in the thing, now Rabbi Yes, Rabbi, I want to call him Rabbi Yossi just for this to make it easier. It's a very similar spelling with Rosamach. Rabbi Yossi responded this answer we just gave. Not a question at all. Some are dead, some are alive, not a problem. If you'd stop there, then the Torah Tamim was 100% right. Dead people are not included in the vow, as Rabbi Yisha asked and as Rabbi Yossi answered. But that's not where the Zayar ends. That's what's a little interesting. The Zayar ends that the one who asked the question, Rabbi Yisha, Rabbi Yisha, turned to Rabbi Yossi and said, no, that's not true. When someone makes a vow and says, I will not see this person as long as he's alive, then your lumdus is very good. When you add on the words, while they're alive, as long as he's alive, you add in that detail, that condition, then of course you could differentiate between live people and dead people, and of course it would not apply to the dead corpse. But, you don't see in this Torah where, where he said, all Moshe Rabbeinu said was, Sifun, got the words again, you will never see them again. Never see them again did not differentiate between live and dead. Therefore, that answer you gave is not a good answer. So the person asked the question, I have a stira, the person, then, then Rabbi Yossi gave the answer differentiating between live and dead, but he did not accept the answer. The person who asked the question said he didn't like the answer. He said, in order for that answer to work, you'd have to need a special condition saying, only while you're alive. Then the Zayar quotes further. Rabbi Abba said that he likes the, 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 the rebuttal. He agrees. It does not work unless you add in the words while they are alive. So it seems like, just counting basic math, you have two against one. You have, you have the one who asked the question, who didn't like the answer, and you have Rabbi Abba agreeing with him. And you only have Rabbi Yossel saying that this differentiation is good. Technically, you have two against one saying that this differentiation is not good. Which means, first of all, the whole story of Tartamir is a interesting. He's quoting a Zayar. He only quoted one part of it, and he quoted the minority opinion of it. Second of all, more what we have to start thinking about is how, do the, how does the majority opinion answer a passage in the Torah? In the end, they did see them afterwards. If you're going to say, like the majority opinion, that when a guy makes a vow and says, I will never see your face again, it includes the dead version of it, then we're back to the question that he asked. What's up, shot? Why, why was Moshe Rabbeinu telling the Jews you're not going to see them, and they went and did see them? Good? Just to know that, that this cheshman I just made is not wrong, the Masham was asked a similar question. A lot of people in the old days made these type of vows. The Masham has a question sent to him. The Hebra Kadisha, a member of the Hebra Kadisha, got into a fight with someone. And when he got into a fight with someone, he told the guy, I'm making a vow, I'm never going to see your face again. And then the guy died. He wanted to know, could he do it? Could he now perform the ceremony of the Tahara on this person he made a vow to? And the Masham quotes the Zayar with the opposite conclusion. He says the Zayar has two against one, saying it's forbidden, so you can't do it. Just like we said, the Tartamira came out with the Zayar saying it's permissible, but the Masham says that's not true. Look at the Zayar inside, and the Zayar inside seems to say it's not permissible. And the, and the Masham passed again, I don't know when the story of Tartamira happened, but they lived a lot at the same time. The Masham passed where he lived in Galicia. Tartamira was in Lita. He passed that the, that the Hebra Kadisha person could not do the Tahara on a person he made a vow to. So Machoikis Masham Tartamira, which goes back to Machoikis within the Torah, within the Zayar, but we have to ourselves explain the Pasuk. The Masham himself says, not quoting the Torah Tmima, but he seems to say that he has an answer for those who might allow it. Even though it's a minority opinion. He says, when you read the original Pasuk, it adds on a phrase. So he says the Masham, it could be when you put in the extra two words, Ad Oilam, that includes a corpse. That means normally, if a person would not say Ad Oilam, then maybe the Torah Tmima is right. It would depend on the, that makes sense by the way, in general when it comes to vows, Hilchus and Dharam, which we're not going into, that's what they did originally by the Nitzvah's table. But in Hilchus and Dharam, a lot of it applies to the mindset of the person making the vow. The words he's using and how he uses them apply. In fact, Tysus in a couple of places in Shas S, when, it's, when the, all the Gemara say, when it, when it says X, it means Y, or X means Z, what does it mean? So Tysus says, why don't you just ask the guy what he meant? 
Just ask him what he meant. So he says, no, the guy meant whatever these phrase means. But it means in general, when it comes to the Lashem B'nai Adam, without the Sergei Lashem, Lashem B'nai Adam, Lashem B'nai Adam, a lot of it goes in what the guy was interpreted. So the Masham says that since the Torah added on the words, Ad Oilam, that's a much more inclusive phrase. That includes a corpse. Okay. Now, if we would stop here, just for a, a quick sikum, a quick consulting, if someone would come to you, we're not going to stop here. But if someone would stop here and say, okay, what do we have right now? A guy makes a vow, we include in the corpse or not. It would come out if we want to make everyone stim with each other. If the person says the phrase, ad oilam, forever, then he's out. That means the corpse is included. If the person specifically says, while he's alive, then clearly the corpse is not included. And otherwise, you've got to know what you're going to go with. Majority opinion, minority opinion, between the Tzimim and the Masham, what you're going to do. But we have two simple ways out. If he says, ad oilam, it seems negative, mean including in the vow is going to be a corpse. And if he says, well, that would make more sense. If he says, I only, while you're alive, Clearly, it would be limited to only while he's alive. But again, we still have to answer the Psukim of the Torah. Because the Psukim of the Torah, he said Ad Oilam, and they saw, they saw the corpses. So it's a little strange what we're going to do then. Okay. So everything we did until now, we're still going to have a Kasha we're going to get back to. But we're going to have to have a second Kasha now. We have a bunch of Kasha we're going to come back to. There's a very interesting Targum Yonison on these Psukim. The Targum Yonison, we don't have in front of me. The Targum Yonison that says... What we say in davening every day. Mamish pasha taich, how you taich the words every day. So I don't have the art school siddur. They usually make the psakalacha when we're up here and we're, 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 we don't know what we're thinking. But normally what you learn, the Jews saw, all do the chumash. And, and the Israel, and the Hashem saved the Jews. The children of Israel, oh wait, let's get the right phrase here. And that day, Israel was saved from the Egypt, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. So that means, mace means dead. Asfasiyah means that the Egyptians were on the seashore. The Jews saw the dead Egyptians on the seashore. That's how Article interprets it, and most people interpret it. The Tagmiyasin does not say that. Tagmiyasin openly states, mace does not mean dead, mace means dying. They were alive, and they passed away. And on the seashore is talking about the Jews. The Mitzrayim, it seems like he's saying, was still in the ocean. They were floating on top of the ocean. There's a lot of different shows we can give on, on how to, a lot of these words work out. We're going to stay focused. But what the Targum medicine says is that the Mitzrayim were supposed to be drowned. They floated to the top of the ocean. And as they were passing away, the Jews saw it. They, he reads the puzzle this way. The Jews saw, I'm skipping to the end just to make it easier, while the Jews were standing, the Jews were standing, what did they see? They saw it's Mitzrayim Mace, and the word Mace means the verb, dying, actively passing away as opposed to the dead. It's a very interesting Targum But the first Kasha, if I'm not going too fast, should be very obvious here. Whatever the Tartimimah and the Masham and the Zoyer and everyone wants to discuss, if a dead person is included in the vow of a live person, one thing's for sure, a live person is included in the vow of a live person. If someone says, I'm never going to see your face again, clearly that includes the live, the live version of it. So according to the Targum Yenison, if the Mitzrayim had not yet passed away, they were still alive, so what was, what was the shot that the Jews were then allowed to see the live faces of the Mitzrayim prior to them passing away? How could that be allowed at all? So we're going to, be, so we're going to try to give now several answers to explain this question. If they were alive, according to everybody, they shouldn't have been able to see them. And if they were passed away, we have a majority opinion in the Zaya that says they should not be able to have seen the corpses. And yet we have a Pasuk that we say every day in Davening that the Jews did see the corpses of the Egyptian people. A little more lambda salacha tonight, right? Everyone's following? Okay. So, 
The first answer we, I, I shickle cheated you, because the first answer, the Zayar himself answered. I, only, I, I did the same thing the Tartimir did. That's a very bad, bad joke. Just like the Tartimir cut off half the Zayar, I cut off part of the Zayar. Let's go through the Zayar again. So the Zayar has Reb Yisa, Reb Yisha coming in and saying I have a contradiction in the Pesukim. This is Thira. In one place, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they're never going to see the Egyptians again. And the next one says, they did see him. Then Reb Yisla says, no. Reb Yisla said, that, that does, there's a difference between seeing live people and dead people. And then he answered, the one who asked the question, Reb Yisha said, no, I don't like that terrorist. I don't like that terrorist. And Reb Abba said, also, I don't like that terrorist. Not a good terrorist. So back to the same question. If the terrorist is no good, then we're back to his theorem Sukkim. So the Zayar himself gives an answer. Now this might be slightly Kabbalah. I'm not exactly sure if it's Kabbalah or if it's just how he interprets the titles of the words. Not sure. But in the, in the Zayar, Rabbi Abba himself gives an answer. He first says, I agree with the rebuttal. That means you can't differentiate between live people and dead people. I, I got a passage that tells me that the Jews looked at the dead people. How does that work out that way? So he says, I'll tell you, when he says the phrase, it seems like he's touching the Pesukim. I don't know enough about Kabbalah to know what it is. The original statement. You will never see them again. The word oilam, which Archkol interpreted as ever, you'll never see them again. He seems to interpret oilam means the din oilam atachtan. What it seems to be saying is that as long as they're not being judged by Hashem, you will not see them. But once they are oilamed, that's a verb, once they're oilamed means they're being judged by the din atachtan, then all bets are off, you're allowed to see them. At this moment in time, whether they were still alive and about to pass away, certainly if they already passed away, they were judged by Hashem, and they are now in the throes of the situation, and therefore the vow never included it, which means if a human being says, Ad Oilam, according to the Masham, it means including a corpse. But when Hashem said Ad Oilam, unless a human being is thinking that way, when Hashem said Ad Oilam, what he meant is until the court system is going to judge them, until that moment it's allowed. So, I don't know if, uh, exactly how that worked out, but that's a Zayar. Take it at face value that at that moment they were past judgment and therefore they were allowed to be there. We can't rely on that after. I don't think so. Now, before I quoted the Targum Yonison, the Targum Yonison again said that they were alive at the time and they were floating in the ocean. Interestingly, the Targum Yonison, that, that, that was the Targum yeah, Yonison, the Targum Yonison adds on one word. When it says, You will never see them again. Adds on one word, probably to answer this question. You will never see them again while you are subservient to them. So it doesn't sound like a great promise, by the way. It's really about a, a couple hours. But it means what, what Moshe Rain told them, that you will not see them in this state where you're subservient to them. That's very good. So as soon as they were either about to die, if they were alive, or a push-up shot that they were dying, it doesn't make a difference. At that moment in time, they were, the Jews were no longer subservient to the Egyptian taskmasters, and therefore they were definitely allowed at that moment in time to see them. Similarly, very similar answer, is that the word that you will not see them, it's a play on words, the play on words is that Vayiru means that you, not, you will not fear them. You will not see them while you're in fear. So it's the same idea. That means Be'etzim, it's an odd thing. Be'etzim, you made a promise, you're never going to see them again. Never see them again means in this type of circumstance. In a different circumstance, you can. So now that will be in Hilchus Nadarim. Normally when you say, I'm never going to see your face again, does your face mean literally while you're in these circumstances or not? So there are a couple of ways around the game that we can say now that therefore they're allowed to see it. The Mechaz Yitzchak has a wild tarot, according to me at least. He says that when the Jews were trapped, the Medrash says there were different groups of Yidin giving different responses. Some Yidin were like, we're fine. 
We trust Hashem. We trust Moshe. Some Yidin we're going back to Egypt. We don't, we don't need this. The Egyptians are coming to get us. You got the ocean wall behind us. Let's just go back to the Egyptians. So the Mechidetzik says that when, I, when Moshe Benu said, you'll never see Egypt again, Egypt means the land of Egypt. He's not going to say this, but this is what he means. The land of Egypt itself. You're not going back there again. And those people later on did not see the Egyptians. That means the good Jews who were not afraid, they got to see the Egyptians. And it was different groups of people. So I don't know how you say in Davening every day, you either now could say means some of the Yidden, not all the Yidden, or you can learn Mace means they did die or they are in the middle of dying. And Aswasayam is Machlaikis if it means the Jews were on the seashore or the Goyim were on the seashore. A lot of different things for Davening. Okay. There's really more on the Sugya, but I think we're going to move on to a similar Sugya that's relevant to the Sugya because I think I'm losing the other one on the first Sugya. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what we're doing. There's going to be another question that's related to the same Pasuk. As the Nitziv said, each Pasuk in the Torah has gems and, and, and underneath it, you just got to look at the right way. There's another very famous question on this Pasuk. So it says that the Jews saw the dead, the simple shot, the Jews saw the dead people on the seashore, the dead Egyptians. The Gemara in Haria says that there are certain things that if you do are bad for your brain cells. That's an American version of what it says. Bad for your brain cells. You'll either stop forgetting things or you won't be able to learn the proper way. Mr. Brewer actually quotes this. Oh, some of them. The Mr. Brewer quotes it. One of them is, you're not, allowed to, you're not supposed to. Mr. Brewer quotes it in Simon Bay's. You're not supposed to look at the face of a dead person. Not to look at the face of a dead person. So the question now becomes another question. Wait a second. How were the Yidden here? Let's say, the, let's ignore the vow. There's no vows involved. Somehow they got around the vow. They have a lot of different terutsim. The vow, the, the vow doesn't apply to when they're not subservient. The, the vow doesn't apply when they're not afraid of them. The vow doesn't apply when they weren't being judged. The vow doesn't apply to certain people. But in the end, the, the, the Jews were looking at, at the Goyim. They were looking at the face of the Goyim. So some want to say that, no, who says they saw the Egyptian faces? It seems like that the Isser is not to look at, at the face. The, the Isser is not to look at Pnei Mace. Maybe they didn't see the actual faces. They only saw the bodies. But that can't be. Because the Medrash says that part of the beauty of the Jews seeing the dead of the Egyptians, but they were able to recognize the specific people that they saw, and they were able to look at them and say, that person did X, Y, and Z to the Jews. Mamash Nekama Biyad Hashem was a beautiful thing, and they got to see, and they were, they were specifically looking at the faces to see, that guy, I know what that guy did, and now he's dead, or about to die if you go to the Targum. And therefore you can't say that they didn't see the faces. But if they were looking at the faces, then the question becomes, wait a second, Gemara and Haria says that it's Kashal Shecha, or Whatever the phrase is, it means it's not good for your brain cells. So why in the world were the Jewish people ignoring a basic halacha? So this too is a pretty famous question. Now the Nitziv, in his Merai Misada on Haria, says you should know that this halacha only applies when you're actually staring at the face. Not when you glance at the face. He to- he's not talking about this, this, gemara, this theory at all. He's talking about the regular gemara. When you look at the gemara, call him a stakal, means you have to look a lot. So I don't think it would work for this answer here, because here the Jews again were trying to discern the face of the specific Egyptian taskmasters that were doing bad to them, so Pashas you're going to have to learn that they were actually staring at the faces and they were making sure they had the right person. So the, the Meremi Sada, the Netziv's original answer wouldn't work here. So we're back to the question now, how did they land out, allowed themselves to steer at the faces of the non-Jewish Egyptians? So there are some that want to differentiate between a guy and a Jew. Not, it doesn't say it in the Gemara, but maybe you could say that a Goyesha corpse, you are allowed to look at the face. It won't cause a problem on your memory, but a Jewish face, you can't. Again, it's a little vague on why it should be that way. I'm saying we don't know the reasons on why a dead person's face creates bad, bad, faulty wiring in your brain. So we're going to see soon 
how far we go into this, that some even say, that Dvar Yeshua, Ehrenberg, Rev. Ehrenberg, says that he, since he doesn't understand how the, the, the face of a dead person affects the brain, he disallows even looking at the picture of a dead person. He's so strict about it. He says, listen, we don't, we don't understand the reason. Go to the stricter side. And even a picture of a dead person you would not be able to look at. So if you're going to say even a picture of a dead person, it would be hard to imagine that he wouldn't say a Goyesha face as well. So why were the Jews not allowed, why were the Jews not worried and concerned about looking at the face of the dead Egyptians? So, if you're going to go with the Tagim Yenison, that they were alive, then you could play a trick. I don't, know, I don't think it's, what I'm about to say is 100% MS, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's cute. You could say that the Jews were looking at the Egyptians as they were dying, at the face, as far as the vow we, we discussed earlier, as far as the modern hurry, it's not a problem. It says you're not look at the pun of a dead person. They're looking at the live person's face as they were dying, and they were able to discern the facial features that this is the taskmaster that did these evil things to me. And prior to the, the Mitzri, the Egyptian, actually dying, they then looked away. I, I, it's my idea. I don't, know, I don't know if you like it or not. It's a cute idea that they only looked at them while they were alive, and as soon as they passed away, they didn't. So they, they covered both grounds. They, they got rid of the vow, however they got rid of the vow, and they got rid of this by saying they were still looking at a live person, not at a dead person, never a problem. But the question is, what, what's the reason for this halacha? So the Shmir Sanevish Vaguf, he quotes... Uh, a Pirisharishan from the time of the Rashba, and he gives a reason why, the Gemara doesn't say this, why you're not allowed to look at the face of a dead person. And he says like this, he says the reason is because if someone is looking at a dead person, and he sees a person who moments ago, he liked him, and he was talking, and he was thinking, and he was a human being that would create things, and do mitzvahs, and all of that, and then, a moment later, he becomes what a mace is, his mind will be depressed, and a depressed mind doesn't work so well. That's a famous concept, Pachasidim. Yeah, if you're in your your brain works much better. So the reason why, it works very well in the Gemara, the reason why you cannot look at a, at a dead person's face is because it will cause faulty wiring in your brain. That works directly because that, you become somewhat depressed at looking at the person who you knew a minute ago that you liked. He actually says you liked him and now he's, not, now he's sitting as a corpse, therefore you get depressed about it. If that's the reason, then you don't have a problem. I don't think any Jew was depressed when he saw the Mitzrayim the dying. Probably it was, it was a, a joyous occasion, therefore it wouldn't make a difference. It shouldn't be a problem whatsoever at all. That means the, the problem of seeing dead people's faces would not apply, maybe not to a normal guy. Maybe a normal guy, you're not look at his face. Normal guy, you'll be depressed. People die, mention starving, you start getting nervous. That you, you start thinking about your own, your own life, your mortality, and you start getting depressed. You don't learn as well. But as far as an Egyptian negative taskmaster who's chasing you, who's trying to kill you, probably no negative repercussions. Therefore, could be that the Jewish people were allowed to look at the, the faces of the dead Egyptians in that case. The fascinating answer by the Pneum Nebedrasha, he says it's a different game. The Gemara in Hurry is, is a problem. What's the difference if you have a faulty brain? We're not against people who are not so smart. We welcome everyone into Judaism. But guy, he's in the, the base here. He could still go to Shidduch. He could still go to Lakewood. I don't know if Lakewood wants me to say that. But he could still go and Debbie. He can go, what, what? So the guy's not so, so let's say you do something and your, brain, your brain's become slightly you know, wiring. is not so good. Who cares? So he said the, the, issue, the, the issue is you want to learn better. That issue of learning better only applies not Har Sinai. Prior to Har Sinai, it doesn't apply at all. The Gemara and Harius doesn't say it, but the Gemara and Harius is only applicable to people post Sinai, which it's not so far to say something. When are we nervous if you can look at the face of a dead person? When are we concerned that now you're going to lose your learning? Only when, only when you're going to lose your learning. In fact, that same Chuva by Dvar Yeshua, the same Chuva by Dvar Yeshua, we'll take a slight. Slight detour. The dry issue was asked this question. Could we photograph people who are very emotional? Could you photograph the deceased to keep a picture around that they should remember them? 
the cameras weren't so popular back then, but it, but it was done. So we want to take pictures to do it. So his first reaction was, no, we don't do pictures because whatever the Gemara Harius means, which I don't understand, he writes, I don't know why it works that way, but something about the face of a dead person creates negative energy to your brain cells, and that would work through a picture as well. That's what he says. You can argue on that, uh, but maybe we'll get a proof to that in a second, that might be right. But there's a, there's a picture that works too as well. Then he says there might be nibble a mess. You're taking a picture out, you take him out, you start moving around, you want to get him to the right angle, the right side of his face. That's, that's embarrassing, the guy. Then he says, but in general, you got the, what about the guy taking the picture? He's zickle looking at the, at, the, at the mace. Who gives him a right to take a picture? So he right away says, you're going to get around that. And now you're going to get around that? You're going to hire a guy to take the picture. And a guy doesn't have the answer of looking at a guy's face because a guy doesn't have to learn So he also says that the idea of looking at a face is, is as Torah alone, just like we're saying it's post Sinai, it might not apply to a guy as well. So he says you can get a guy to do it. By the way, I didn't know this until I saw it, Rebbe Kivega, I don't know what it means, quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, not, not by the Shulchan Aruch, obviously, but quoted in the Shulchan Aruch, on the daf, Pesach Chuba, I think, quotes it, says that there's some type of thing, I don't understand it, that when a person, we do, we, some of us don't keep to this, that when a person is deceased, you're not supposed to have a guy look at a Jewish dead person. So he writes at the end, Rev. Ehrenberg is writing, you're stuck. You can't take the picture because the person taking the picture is going to be a problem. You can't have the guy take the picture because the guy can't look at a, body, at a Jewish body at all. And you, and you might not be able to look at a picture after. Let's say you broke the law, you took the picture. Could be you shouldn't look at a picture at all anyway. And could be Neville Mace. He's, he's vehemently opposed to taking pictures of dead people for this, this situation. He doesn't discuss, which I don't know why he doesn't discuss, if you take a picture of a live person and then he passes away, does that also create negative energy? Seems like no one, again, seems like no one has a problem with that. Probably because at the time the picture was taken, that energy field doesn't transfer to the picture. I don't know. Can't answer that question. But, just in case you think the picture sounds wild, why should a picture be similar to a dead body? I'll tell you a Gavaldiga thing. Hope everyone, so I'm doing a lot of stuff here, right? Am I going too fast? Rabbi Shur ben Karcha, the Gemara Megillah Daf says, it quotes different Tanoim and Amaroyim. They asked them why they merited certain longevity. Why they merited to live such a long life. And each Tana gave a different answer. What he had done, the tricks to living a long life. People went into long life way before the Atkins diet. How do you live a long life? And every person was giving different answers. Shuab and Karka lived a long life. They asked him, why did you live such a long life? What did you do? He said, I never looked at the, at the face of a Russia. Never looked at the face of a Russia. The Gemara says, you know, you now look at the face of Russia. The Gemara of Yechonet says, Asala Stakel upon Shal Russia. Applies even today. Many Gedalim are very mocked that today. No, look at the face of a Russia. So, the question that the Torah asks is, wait a second. All of these things, why people lived longer lives, is only because they did an extra pious act. You can't say, I lived a long life, I kept Shabbos. Of course you kept Shabbos. Everyone's keeping Shabbos. You have to keep Shabbos. Yeah, I, 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 wasn't, I, I, I didn't kill someone. Every one of the Gemaras are things they did extra, above and beyond the call of duty, that they said, because I went above and beyond the call of duty, I now was to a long life. So the Torah says, wait a second. What do you mean, Rabbi Karcha says? I lived a long life because I didn't look at a dead person's face. And Rabbi Yechon says, don't look at a dead person's face. Rabbi Yechon says, Allah. The Allah says, don't look at a dead person's face. At a Russia's face. If they said, don't look at a Russia's face. So what did Rabbi Karcha say? I didn't look at a Russia's face. That's the Torah's Kasha. So there's a Sefer Ramat Shmuel, written in Lisa, the, the Masif the Gemara's quote, Taka. And he says, he writes there, 300 years ago, he writes that Rabbi Shubham Karcha went above and beyond the call of duty. Normally, it's also a stock of a pun of Shorasha. That's an open halacha. Can't look at a Russia's face. But he, Rabbi Shubham Karcha was so strict, even in his days, people used to make portraits and paintings, no pictures, portraits are made. He was so mocked, but he wouldn't even look at the portrait or a painting of a bad person. And because of that, it's a pious act, and he lived longer. Which means there is some type of connection between the live face 
at least in a pious act, and, and the picture, a portrait, painting of the person. So it could be the same thing. You can't look at the picture of a mace, because again, the picture has some type of connection to the live person, just like you see by the, you have to assume, I'm making this assumption. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Has to be that if you can't look at a Russia, includes the picture, pretty much safe to assume if you can't look at a dead person, it includes the picture. But it might not be so. It might be that dead people have funny energy fields, and therefore it works a different way. Okay, we're doing a lot here. So let me just get a quick recap here. We have the first question, which starts me about a story, which we see desire ask the question, how did the Jews see the dead Egyptians? If Moshe Rabbeinu told them they wouldn't ever see the dead Egyptians. They wouldn't ever see the Egyptians. That means a general question, when you see someone who's alive, does that, and you make a vow not to see him again, does that include when he's dead as well? We had a machleik in the Zayar, two against one said it's, that, that it includes the dead body, and, and the Tartamima went with the half of the Zayar and said, you do not include the dead body, you can go ask Mechila. I, then we said there could be a difference on certain things. If you add in the words ad oilam, it applies forever. If you specifically say only while they're alive, only applies while they're alive. Then we had a separate question. Then we had a few other answers on how the Jews actually did it. How did the Jews actually see them? If they were technically maybe alive according to Targum Yonison, or according to the sheets that said ad oilam, it applies to the dead. How they would see it? So they, they were past judgment on. They didn't fear them anymore. They weren't subservient to them. There were different groups. Chazorah can go fast, right? Then we had a second question. What's the difference? We have a second problem. You now let's stare at the face of a dead person. That's a separate problem. On the vows, how do you stare at that? They looked at dead people. So we said, either before Hasina, you won't seem to smile when I said that one, either before Hasina, either a guy, either they were evil people, so we don't care, or my, my drasha, that really they were alive, and when they're alive, they didn't look at them anymore when they were dead. All good, right? Okay. One more answer on that one is that even though the Gemara says, you now look at a dead person, the Shulchan Aruch seems to say it. Shulchan Aruch also says that if someone never died, and you want to know if the, per- if the person died to tell his wife that she could remarry, that he openly states that you could take witnesses who are going to look at the face of the person. So clearly there are times you are supposed to look at a dead person. What does it mean? Ailamaya means the Shem Mitzvah, you're allowed to do it. The Shem Mitzvah, you're allowed to look at that, but you're supposed to. Shulchan Aruch quotes you, you're supposed to look at the face. So it could be very simple, by the way. The reason why the Jews were allowed to look at the mason of the dead, of the dead Egyptians, once again, that was a Kiddush Hashem. That Hashem should say, that they could see Yad Hashem, that Imamish gave Kemoyi Zadu, like Yisra is going to say later on, in next week's parasha, that because they did things wrong, and they were punished, and we could see them being punished, that's a Kiddush Hashem. So Kiddush Hashem should be allowed anyway. So we answered one big question was, what, if they broke a vow, second question was, allowed to look at a dead person. Now, there's a third issue, but I think I'm going too fast. I'm getting nervous. But the third issue, which we're not going to go into right now, is, there's a, a Zaytik issue. Are you allowed to go to the funeral of someone you don't like? Now, in Hilchas Bikachalim, the Ramah brings a Machlaikas. Open Ramah. The Ramah quotes Machlaikas in the Maril on himself. If someone is sick, are you allowed to go visit a sick person who you do not like? You're, you're, but you know each other, not you're hiding it. Maybe you're hiding it, you're allowed to go. But if you, you and, the, and, the, and the patient are enemies with each other, are you allowed to go or not? And there are different Gemaras that seem to contradict each other. Different Gemaras that seem to bring out different points that is possibly allowed. Can you go visit a sick person or not? And that's in, the, in my English book here. I spoke about that. So we're not going to go to that now. You can read it over Shabbos. But within that as well, the Bach seems to say that whatever the question is concerning Bikacholim, it does not concern going to the Leviah. The Leviah of a frenemy, if that's an American word, the Leviah of a frenemy one can go to. That's allowed. And he gives reasons why that we're not getting to right now. So, but it could be that even though the Jews are allowed to look at the faces of the enemies, you have to know if you're allowed to, look at the, you're allowed to go to the funeral of a dead person anyway, if it includes a guy as well. Now, we started talking about pictures. So I want to tell you a story. And the Mari Cheskel has this story from, from Hungary. And, and, he, and he wrote the, the tshuva to the Das Moshe 
the Biana before the war. This is during World War I. During World War was a woman, and her son was drafted. And then, as many times in war, he completely disappeared. And the woman was distraught. Her child's not around. What happened to him? From the war front, no news. What's he doing? So she went up, she made a vow. She said, listen, if I, if I get to see my son again, again, every word's deep medaic, if I get to see my son again, I take all my jewelry and I give it to the poor people. Very good. Poor people heard the news. They said, we're going to investigate. I don't know, that's my uh, joke. I don't know, if that, probably that's what happened. Because all of a sudden, in the time after that, she got reports back. Someone came to her. Amazing. Weird, odd story. Someone came to her with a picture, World War I, with a picture of her son, who was still alive, who had deserted the army, and had gone to Russia, it seems like, and he married a shiksa. So I don't know if this was good news or bad news to her. She was very distraught. So she said, wait a second. I said, if anyone shows me the person, that goes into our question about if a photograph is equal to seeing the person, if anyone shows me the person, but she meant clearly alive, he was alive, then I'll give my money to Zedakah, but clearly she didn't want that to happen. And it was Megala that when she made the vow, he had already deserted and married the guy. So she was unaware of the real circumstance at the time. So she came to the Mary Cheskel, and she said, what do I do about the Tzedakah? And he told her, the very interesting Shaila, you've got to give me a couple days. It's a lot of different facets of this halacha that I have to think about and figure out what I'm going to do with. So he, he writes to Mary Cheskel that while he was thinking about it, the woman came to her own conclusion. Sometimes people have their own conclusions, especially when it's relevant to a lot of their money about giving it away. And she decided that that was not her kavan in the nether, and therefore she clearly does not have to give back the money. I don't know how you would have guessed that she came to that conclusion. But she came to her own conclusion, the money stays by her. Okay. It's not the end of the story. What happens is, if you have to know how the word's in Hebrew, but it seems like from the words that he's writing, she, as they say in the phrase in Yiddish, she kachapt a stroke. She got herself a stroke, and she couldn't speak. That's what happens. That's why I think it's a stroke. She couldn't speak. So she decided, since she's already a chachama, and she already made the psak. So she's mamish, not only Chachamah, she's also a wise person that can figure things out. She, she said to herself, it must be a midah keneged midah. This is what she wrote another letter to me. It must be a midah keneged midah. Since I made a vow, and I wasn't strict concerning my vow, then HaKadosh Baruch punished her, and now she couldn't speak as well. So she said, she's sending a shayla back to the Mary Cheskel, now what do I do? Was I wrong originally? Could I still give the money? You realize I didn't want my son to marry the guy. The whole spiel going back and forth. The Mary Cheskel sent the letter to the Das Moshe. The Bayana. And he said, we have a very interesting, Dasmoshe doesn't write the questions, he only has the answers. But you know where it's coming from, he's still got where the questions are. So Dasmoshe starts going through the answers. And again, he goes through several of the sugis we're discussing today. First of all, when someone makes a nether, what exactly encompasses the nether? How far does that nether go? Second of all, does a photograph include person? Third of all, he goes a little bit, if someone marries a guy, is that considered already dead? In Jewish law, we consider these people dead already. So they go through different ideas of, of, of and it's a long tshuva. It's getting late already. But the point is, I agree with the Nitziv, we're going to wrap it up, I agree with the Nitziv, that every Pasuk in the Torah, when you spend enough time on, there's enough gems within it to bring out interesting questions, interesting answers. You just have to know how to read it. The Nitziv was all excited about the original thing. Hopefully we're a little more excited tonight about something we did. And I'd be as good as the Mashiach, we should all be to only hear good news.